We're still talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, Principles of the Kingdom of God, how Christians will live in his kingdom. Many people will read this, not everybody will do this, and admittedly some of the things that are taught are not easy to do. To transition from the old way to God's way is is a challenge in so many ways, but it can be done because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 6 tonight, we're looking at verses 19 through maybe 24, talking about God's attitude concerning possessions, covetousness, attitudes, and worry. Anxiety, which we'll get to probably next week. But in verse 19 through 21, talking about a very common subject, probably much more common than we realize. We don't always know how to define covetousness. We sure don't want to accuse people of it if we cannot exactly prove it. And yet it's listed among sins that will keep you out of the kingdom in Ephesians chapter 5. In other words, covetousness is far greater than we've made it out to be, and it's probably more common than we realize. And yet we wouldn't treat it like some impure or immoral or licentious sin, because that's so evident we we can see that, while it's harder to define covetousness. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your heart be also. Let's begin the night with with some warnings against covetousness. Warnings about how you relate to money or how money or possessions affect you or affect man, mankind. I think we all realize that uh, many, many people view money in life as a means of security. If I could just get this amount of money or this kind of job making this much money, boy, I would really do well. Or we look at what somebody well-to-do has and we say, if I had his money... I know what I'd do, and then, boy, and you dream all your dreams and think of all your thoughts. Like somebody said, well, the rich are covetous. Not necessarily. The poor can be as covetous as the rich. There's always people that really wish they had what somebody else had or wish they had more than they have for various reasons. It's not wrong to want more. We'll get to that in a minute. But the way you view money and the way you view your walk in society and through and through life depends on how money will affect you in life. Some people can't handle it. It handles them. They cannot control money. It Money controls them. And it shouldn't be like that, but it is. Because, again, money is, for too many people, it's security. It's how I make it through and to tomorrow. With money, I don't have to concern myself with buying this or buying that or going here or going there. In other words, with, if I have enough uh, money, I won't have to trust the Lord. I don't have to do all of that. I can just get what I want and go when I want and have what I want. And so I want to do that. Money makes you feel secure. Why don't you turn to First Timothy 6 in dealing with the first thing about warnings against covetousness is that Christians are not to view money as their security. Money is not intended to be your security. It's not what you count on, rely on, and lean on for tomorrow. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Isn't that good? Listen to it. God gives you richly, not meagerly, but richly, all things to enjoy. Even in James 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. 
but and he gives us liberally, and God is generous with his people. Too many promises say that. You know, ask and you shall receive. You, you delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. And, and many other promises of abundance that God makes to us. There are warnings with abundance. If you've got money, you've got a set of, of conditions here you need to put yourself in and, and under. You cannot let money rule you. You cannot think you're bigger than you really are, or that you're more important now than you used to be, or that you deserve breaks and recognition from other people more than you used to, because now that you've got money, you're somebody. You know, we often refer to people, well, they got money. They've got money. And we often think that that is what sets them apart as having some significance among men is because they have money. How many of you know a beggar could win the lottery? What's it cost to play the lottery? <laughs> nobody's going nobody's to tell me what it costs, are you? I think it's $2. I heard it's gone up from $1 to $2. Well, you know, a man, if he had a buck or $2 and he bought a ticket and won, he won $50 million. Is he the same person he used to be? But he will become a different person because money makes him think now that he is important, that he has maybe accomplished something that he can look down on people he used to look up to. Those are things that warp attitudes and minds and things that God is against. This is what the warning is about. Money should never do that. He said here, it's not, listen, it's not wrong to be rich. Otherwise, in the church, in verse 17, he would have said, charge them that are rich to give away everything they have so there's nobody rich. But he doesn't say that any more than Jesus said that to Zacchaeus, you know, the rich man. It's not a crime to be rich. It's not wrong. But he does say charge those who are rich, specifically those who are rich. Now, how would you define who is rich? Would they have two cars or three? Would they have one house or two or a big house and a little house or two big houses? Or do they have a large bank account? Or do they own a lot of property? Are they... Uh, they own a lot of rental stuff. I mean, what, how do you define rich? Because the Bible describes a lot of rich people as poor people. And the Bible describes some who are extremely poor as wealthy. The widow's mites said she put in more than all these others, and they put in quite a bit, I suppose. It's nothing for a rich man to put $1,000 in an offering container, not that he will or that he does, but he could. And it would be like you putting a quarter in an offering container. It's nothing, but it all depends on the attitude of your heart, your motivations, and what causes you to give and how you feel about money. But in 1 Timothy six seventeen, he said, Charge those that are rich, charge them, that they be not high-minded. Quit thinking everybody should look up to you or quit looking down on everybody else or quit thinking that because you have money, you're smart. I remember in a commercial one time, it was one of those credit card commercials. A fellow was in a pilot's seat of an airplane, and the pilot of the airplane was going to tell him something. It's part of the commercial. was going to tell him something. I've already played a pilot once. A lot of people, I think, think that, well, you know, I played the role of a president once, so I am obviously good enough to be one. Or I played the role of a pilot. A lot of people think that they're more than they really are because of the effect that money has. And the way people look up to people that are rich and like to watch them drive off in their new stuff or in their nice clothes. And there's sort of an envy there. It shouldn't be an envy there. You know, the psalmist looked at the well-to-do people. It was a complaint. He said, Lord, they don't worship you. They don't serve you. They don't, they're just greedy, ugly people, and they're well-to-do, and they, they're well, and they're healthy, and they're fat, meaning they're healthy, and their kids are this and that, and they just they don't have any problems. And look at us. Until he said, then I finally saw what the end of those people were going to be. Riches don't have to be a burden to you, and they don't have to drag you down spiritually, but they can. Therefore, the charge. He said, charge those that are rich. Don't be heady and high-minded. Don't think that because of your wealth you should set up front or you should have the better place or that you deserve an office. 
or a recognition in the church. That's not Money doesn't make you qualified to do all of that. But notice he goes on to say that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. How do you view that? The phrase uncertain riches. Does that mean that riches can be here today, but they might be gone tomorrow? Obviously it does. Money has a way in Proverbs chapter 23. The Bible says that that riches can make itself wings. They came in pretty good. Maybe you got a big inheritance. It's amazing how one night at the casino you have no inheritance. Foolish things cause foolish events. Or the farmer who's really had a great year, the corn and the soybeans or whatever he sold, his oats or his wheat or whatever it was he sold, he had a banner year. And he goes forward bigger next year. You never know what's going to happen during a year, but didn't know a drought was coming, didn't know there was going to be a pestilence or a disease among his stock and his cattle. And it looks one year he is well-to-do and looked up to as farmer of the year, and next year he's broke. Next year he's broke. Money has a way in this life of disappointment. It disappoints a lot of people because you think you've got it and you don't. Look at all the look at this Ponzi scheme. If you don't know what that is, never mind. I don't think I do either, but I heard the word. In the Ponzi scheme, you give me your uh, money and I'll guarantee you 15% return a year on your money. You give me 100000 I give you back 115000 at the end of the year. Well, I don't know how you'd make 15% on money anywhere today. Not the way things are now. The interest rates on CDs are what, half a percent or 1% maybe? Not even worth having. But people can make these Big, you know, important people. Look, I have a uh, Hollywood director. It's one of my clients. i got several movie stars, a famous uh, racehorse trainer, and I've got three or four great athletes, and I'm talking about $3 billion of investments from people like this that I'm in charge of. You put your money in here, and I can turn yours into something else. And then when everything fell apart, you know, here's a couple on the news Sweeping floors down in Florida somewhere. They were ready to retire. Ready to retire. And they had like $2 million invested with this guy. If we have $2 million to retire on, we don't need to invest in anything. <laughs> Let's enjoy it and go out with a blaze, you know. But then again, you can't think like that either. I mean, money is not meant to be some way to get away from God or to do whatever you please. Money can corrupt you. Like, oh, if I won the lottery, if I won $50 million, I'd give everybody in church, you know, 100000 What if $100,000 turned into corruption? What if one of them turned into a million? I gave all your kids a million dollars, let's say. And what if they corrupted themselves with a million dollars and, and went into some kind of a sin and, and died away from God? Your money helped them do that. You say, oh, if we had a million dollars, I'd do that. You know what? You'd had a million. If you had $50 million, you'd have 50 million problems. Because now you're accountable in this life by the, by the Lord. You're accountable for not only what you do with that money, but what that money does to other people, whether it's good ground or just other kind, you know. If you give money to an organization that's against God, then you have to give an account for that. The sheen comes off of money. Once a man has walked with the Lord long enough to know that money can't buy heaven, money can't buy grace, money can't buy peace, money can't buy victory. You think it can, but it can't. And all of the stuff of this world pales in light of what God gives to his people to richly enjoy themselves. God can make whatever you need come into your life. I mean, he is able. He's, the earth is uh, the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. And as one old boy said years ago, and all the taters and maters in the hills belong to God too. Everything is God's. And God can cause his grace to abound toward us. That, that he can make his grace abound to us in such a way that we are always having all sufficiency in all things abound. I have found in my life, and I don't want to keep every time to have a message, keep, well, but I remember I and I and I. I don't want to do all the, I, the best testimony I have is mine. That's a Yogi Berra statement. 
The best testimony I have is my well, duh. But the one I have is the one I'm most familiar with that I am sure of. And I have found that the more you lose affection for money and what you think money does for you, and the more your affection is for the Lord and what can I do with it for the Lord's sake, the more he'll let you enjoy richly all things more than you thought. It's not money that life is all about. But some people who don't see what God is saying or can't trust the Lord for their all their needs to be met, they become workaholics and they become greedy and they become interested in making money other ways and just work. Uh, the worst form of money making today that I think there is. I think the very lowest grade money making today is selling drugs. I think that is the very bottom of the pit. And I know why they don't live long, and I know why they don't live good. Because that only all that does is corrupt people. And with your money you make, you're just ruining life after life after life. And somebody is keeping track of all of that, and there's no way they can enjoy their life. No way. And money, they will tell you. Some of them, if they're honest, money doesn't make you happy. It's here today, it's uncertain. It's here today, and it's going tomorrow. You know, the, somebody sues you. You had a accident or something, and and this or that happened, and it cost you everything you had. And one day you're broke. I mean, these people down there lost $2 million in their Ponzi scheme. We were told it was just a sure thing, and we were so certain, and we put our $2 million in, and, and now we're broke. And all these big investment firms and IRAs, several billion dollars worth of people's money is just gone. There's a certain kind of greed that people have. If I can just get more in any way than the sweat of my brow, I just want to make all the money I can. just want to make all the money that I... I remember a preacher told me once in my travels from yesteryear, he said, I just want to make money. And I remember thinking at the time, why are you preaching it? In this little church here, I'm sure they take care of you, but that's not what you want. You want to be rich. And, and I could tell stories about that same man, but I, I won't. But bragging about offerings later on in life at twenty, thirty thousand dollar offerings, or one time a fifty thousand dollar offering. How do you get that much money in an offering? Well, they get that much for political speeches, so maybe maybe that much is out there. I don't know. Let me read for you what in Barnes's notes Albert Barnes said about this word uncertain riches. These were his comments about it. He said riches are uncertain because they may soon be taken away. No dependence can be placed on them in the emergencies of life. He who is rich today has no security that he will be tomorrow. A man who is rich is very liable to trust in his riches and to suppose that he needs nothing more. He feels that he is not dependent on his fellow, fellow man, that he is very likely to feel that he is not dependent on God. It is for this cause that God has has recorded so many solemn declarations in his word respecting the instability of riches. If riches can ruin a life, then you want to make sure in your desire to get it that it doesn't ruin you. I'm glad when everybody does well. You know, the Bible says you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. I think that's wonderful. I think all of us should prosper. And I, I think that whatever dimension... You can believe for in that area and stay right with the Lord. I'd say fine, do it. But I'll just tell you, there's more things in life, things that are more greater value than money. Some of the most simple people in the world live in these third world countries, never had money, wouldn't know what to do if they did have it. But every time you see them, they're smiling. Their kids are playing. They're having a good time. Nobody's fighting, arguing, nobody's drunk, nobody's trying to beat somebody. They're just, they're just content, I suppose. And yet in a affluent country like ours, we have more crime, I guess, than any nation probably in the whole world. But lawsuits and stock market falling and silver and gold stocks, they'll, they'll come down. And a housing market that falls and investments that men were counting on for tomorrow to be pretty well off. We got it made in the shade. And then the next day comes and you have nothing. And then there's all this grief and sorrow and disappointment. 
Then we start blaming God. God, why? As though God was involved in this greed. He's not. And we don't like to be told that it's greed, but often, very often, it is greed. And we're warned about it in the, uh, right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul warned us about it. The second thing is we should, we're warned that we should avoid the selfish ambition or the selfish accumulation of wealth for our own self or to save as an end in itself. I want to be able to say at the end of my life, and I, I, again, I like you. I, I know people that I think have this mindset. I don't think they're bad people. I just think that this is what's happened in their life. They've been able to accumulate some money. And once you get a little bit of it and you get a taste of it, and sitting there in the quietness of your room, house, car, office, you begin to think, you know, if I wanted to go buy a new suit of clothes, I could. If I wanted to go buy a brand new car, I could go buy one right now. <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, you've done good. Now, you know what, though? If you take some of that money you're talking about there, you could put that in a certain situation like we were talking about a while ago, and, uh, boy, you come to the end of your life, uh, you'd be able to tell people, I'm worth a million dollars. I had a preacher tell me that once. He said, I'm worth a million dollars. And I'm thinking, now I'm just as this is old, sorry me. So? So? What, what's a million dollars? What's a million dollars? Question is, could you give it all away if God asked for it? Could you walk away from it? You will one day. When they put your cold, hard body in that dead body in that casket, you won't have that money with you. And if they do put it in that casket with you, bugs will eat that too. It'll all rot. All the stuff in this world is for this life. Things, possessions, money, all of that is for right now. It was never meant to possess people, though the devil will encourage it to possess you, and you'll be subject to it. But it's there for us to richly enjoy the Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. The Bible says to a rich man, God has given the, the task of gathering and collecting that he may give it to one who is righteous in God's sight. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name who forgiveth all our iniquities and this and that and thus and so. And then he begins telling us all the things that are ours. Like in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, you know, if a man will diligently hearken and seek and pay attention to what God has said and set himself to live like that, God says all these blessings, Deuteronomy 28, shall come upon you and overtake you. That couldn't be bad. That couldn't be bad. If it was bad, then we accuse God of, uh, of doing bad. But all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Well, isn't that dangerous? Not if you do verse 1. Not if you're seeking the kingdom of God first. You're a kingdom seeker, not a money seeker. Money comes to you just like it did to Jehoshaphat, like it did to David or, or Asa or any other kings of Israel. There's an attitude of heart that God sees that he can trust, and he blesses those people because he knows their heart. But you're not to accumulate wealth just for yourself so you can say that, look what I, look, look how much I got. I'm worth a million dollars. Turn to Luke million, Luke 12. Turn to Luke 12 and a million dollar deal here. Luke 12. So it doesn't say a million dollars. I know it, but you'll turn there. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not... In the abundance of things he possesseth. And he speaks a parable to them like this. The ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Man, I'm doing so good. And he is. He is. Verse 18, And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all. All my fruits and my goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you the man. I mean, soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know how many personal pronouns are mentioned in verse 17 through 19? I, I, my, he, I, I, my, 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 I, my. Look what I did. I'm somebody. I am something else. Admire me. Notice me. Write an article about me. Vote for me. I'm your man. I've got so much stuff. I'm at to, I'm at to build some new barns. I made so much money. I'm going to buy the city block. I'm going to buy. I'm just going to be Mr. Everything. Look what you did, boy. You did good. Look at all the people that said, hi. Oh, you know what God said to him? God said, you have been blessed, my man. No, that ain't what God said. Let me tell you what God says to that attitude. Get all you can so when it gets time to the end, you can just eat, drink, and be merry. It's like, that's okay. Well, he said. But God, verse 20, said unto him, Thou fool. That's pretty strong. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be which thou hast provided? I tell you who will get it. His family, they'll start fighting each other and hating each other the rest of their life. Their kids will get into it with each other and they'll go to court with each other to get that money. That's, how, that, that's what money does. Divides families. It does. doesn't have to. It doesn't always, but this is what it so often does. My dad told his brother one day when I, years ago to get out of his house. My dad could raise his voice uh, pretty good and frequently and uh, wasn't careful with his words. Knew a lot of the wrong ones and often, uh, I guess, just by accident used them and uh, told my brother in, in a wrong way to get out of the house because my brother and his sister, my dad's Brother and sister wanted my dad to sign a piece of paper saying that the, he wouldn't get anything of my granny, their mother's estate. He said, you didn't help anybody. You didn't put anything into it. You don't get anything out of it. And my dad made his speech, and then he, he told him to leave. I remember that so well. I said, get, um, well, get out of here, you know. And he had to leave, and, and uh, I think they made up later on. But it's all about money. Who's going to get that? Who's going to get this? Well, mom had this. I want that. It's greed and money. My mother wanted me to promise her when she was dying, while she still had her mind. We were sitting on the couch, and she made me. My mother was a very, very organized woman. With all of her faults, she had this down pat. She was very organized. She showed me where everything she owned was and everything that was important and of value. Showed me there. We went to the bank in the lockbox. Showed me everything. And then she said, I want you to do this. She wanted me to neglect another member of the family from having anything. And I said, write that down. I don't want to do that. And after she was gone, uh, a member of the family came, and they just came up with a truck. Didn't ask me, and just went in the house and started hauling stuff out. I wasn't there. Jimmy was. That was the wrong one to be there to stop stuff, but I... <clears throat> he called me and said, what do you want me to do? I said, nothing. Give them what they want. And so he just let them have it. You know why? Just a piece of wood and glass. Just something that's got drawers in it and decorated up and got little funny things on the side of it. <laughs> it's a piece of furniture. Is furniture worth being argumentative and, and fussing and having a, a root of bitterness about? I would rather give, empty it all out and, and let's just get along than for me to say, well, you can't have that. I said, well, get what you want. Get what you want. Money does things to people. Possessions do things to people. This greedy, I want, that's mine, I'm going to have, and that's not fair. That kind of stuff has prevailed so much. Through the years, people have come to church and, and uh, complained that nobody helps them. And I think, is that why you came? Nobody here said we have to support anybody. 
we do it because of what God puts on our heart. But there's nothing in here that says we have to, we have to pay your rent or buy your food. Not when you're making money yourself to do that. But there is this thing that's greedy. It's, I guess, part of the American way of life is that we are so well off and as a country. And none of you here are broke tonight. You may not have as much as you wish, but you're not broke. You ate tonight or you will. You got clothes on your back, and I know you got some more at home. And you can wear what's at home. You can still have more for the next day without washing today or yesterday's. So I, I know we're not broken down and out. And yet, a lot of people just don't appreciate some of the smaller things in life, and, and they don't seem to, well, like he said, take heed and beware of covetousness. Remember that? Take heed and beware of covetousness. Turn over to Colossians 3, 5. Let me say something about covetousness. Some more remarks about covetousness using Colossians 3, 5 to show you how serious it is. Mortify, or that is put to death, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, would you agree with me that covetousness is listed alongside some bad things? I would like to think we would not tolerate immorality. Anybody can slip up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a pattern of immorality, of immoral behavior in your life that you wouldn't have anything to do with that. Any more than you would tolerate a form of godliness when the people that have the form deny the power of godliness, that you wouldn't want to tolerate that either. Now, we have more problem with that. Because some old nasty person out there that's sinning and just corrupted, we can see that. We can see what it's doing, how they act, and what they're doing. But covetousness is a little harder to define. So often when you get into a religious debate or argument or confrontation, to begin pointing out what you think is wrong, so often it comes down to, well, that's just your opinion. And what do you do with that? What can you do with that? Well, that's your opinion. Well, I don't see it your way. And a lot of religious discussions in in a in a in like that nobody can make sense of what the other person or they can't prove the other person why they're wrong the way they say they're wrong so they say well who who said you're right and I'm wrong that's just your opinion covetousness is one of those things that causes a man to aspire to have and to get at the neglect of his own life sometimes his family and god he becomes a workaholic because his life is geared towards getting and having. He has a desire to accumulate for himself. Because if he accumulates for himself, this spirit that works in this kind of thing makes a person feel successful. He is successful because he has money. His family is deteriorating. They're dysfunctional. They don't know how to get along or anything, but he's got a lot of money, and he thinks he can just buy them off or give them money and go, you know, hey, I gave you money. It's just money, getting money, making money, having, being, greed. Ministers that I've known in the past, I know one that he would talk about his investments, what kind of interest rates he's getting. He said, what are you getting with yours? I said, I don't have any. Well, didn't you get an inheritance? Didn't Bonnie's dad leave you all some money? Yes, yes, he did. And my mother left us some too. Aren't you going to invest it? No. That ain't the way I'm going to make a living. What are you going to do with it? Whatever I, I guess whatever the Lord wants me to do with it, or if, until I know what to do with it, I'm not going to do anything. I might drive a new car. That's all right, isn't it? I mean, if you don't quit me now. And something like that, let me say, y'all didn't buy that. Her daddy bought that. But anyway, covetousness is a, is a strong desire for the possession of worldly things. A great urge in your life to get and to have. Sometimes so you can say, look what I got. Look how well I've done. You know, a godliness uh, is gain. And it's not. And to think that, boy, look how much God blessed me, and, and you can't get along with this guy. He doesn't attend church. He's not cooperative. He's seldom seen or she. And yet they got money. And they think that, you know, they're, they're all right. 
And you have to be careful because money can do that to you. In Colossians 3, 5, he says it will keep you out of the kingdom. It will keep you out of the kingdom. Look in Ephesians 5. Go back two books to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Paul had some really hard things to say in his epistles about covetousness. He puts, the, he puts covetousness alongside some of the most odious sins in the Bible. I mean, things that, uh, that we should disassociate from. And he mentions it, covetousness. He said it's like idolatry. Idolatry is what people turn to for, for security and support. They turn to their idol. They depend on their idol. Or they worship their idol. They live for it. Whether it's sports or money, uh, a position in the world, maybe some idolize their position as a CEO or a something, minister of a big church. Maybe they like the idea of being looked up to and, and uh, all of that. That's a terrible sin. But money can do that to you. Covetousness, this greedy desire, workaholic, gone all the time. Making money, seeking investments this way and that way. All of that kind of stuff comes under the heading of, of covetousness, and it's not good. It never is good. Thirdly, God wants us to avoid the necessity of seeking wealth. You don't need to seek wealth as a means in it end. It's good to work. We should work. There's nothing wrong with working. There's nothing wrong if you start out at minimum wage and you're content and you're at peace with God and you're doing a good job at minimum wage and you're a Christian, I'm sure God will promote you. There's nothing wrong with work. Not a thing wrong with it. In fact, I think Proverbs 13 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. When God ordained at the beginning that man should live by the sweat of his brow or by labor, that's what he means. Work. God ordained work to be the way you pay your bills and make it through life. Buy things and have things. It's work. It's not, it's not a crime to work. You set that over against a person who not only does not work, but makes his money go out and work for him, and his money brings all of his... Like putting out an interest, usury we call it. A lot of people do that. The Bible has something to say about it for Christians. And uh, not all of it's good. Because there are, there are times that uh, God commends a person who does not put his money out to usury. You're giving a bank a certain amount of your money so they can in turn use that as, a, as an investment or as what they can loan you. And while they give you a certain percent for letting them use it, 2 or 3%, I wonder what it is now, they also charge you for interest on that money yourself. To me, and this is just my opinion, this is not the gospel, it's my opinion, I didn't like the idea of me putting my money in an institution so they could use it to make money off of other people's misfortunes. I'd rather just put it in a sock or put it in a plain old passbook savings account. That's so dumb. Well, that's me. That's welcome to reality. Because I'm not interested in trying to make a lot of money. I'm not. I really am not. God has blessed me with enough. I have plenty. All of my needs are well taken care of. And I know a lot of preachers say, man, if you say that, they're not going to give. Well, it depends on how they're taught. People don't give because you have a little or because you have a lot. They give because it's God's. It's not yours. And, and when you get your heart right, you don't have to bug people about money and ask people for money. You don't have to tell a sob story or tell about a little orphanage you have. And, oh, you just you don't have to do that. That's not the way God told us to, to do things. Just be honest and upfront. So let me tell you what Paul said to preachers. Being as I are one, let me tell you what he said. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice, for we brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You would agree to that, wouldn't you? You didn't bring anything into this world. 
You can't take anything out of this world. Amen? Verse 8, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Somebody sent me an email, a list of one of these anti-charismatic places, I'm sure, because all the stories were about charismatic figures. You would know almost all of their names. And they give a little detail about each one and how each one was corrupted either by money or sex. But money was usually involved with all of them. And how so many of them had three mansions and a jet airplane and and three cars. One gives his wife a new Lexus and a new Mercedes for her birthday because she drives two at a time. And a clothing spree. We spent $39,000 on a clothing spree. And the daughter graduated from high school and sent her to the Bahamas in their private jet to enjoy herself. Of course, you don't have to read much. I mean, they're all like that. They all say something like that because they want to try to expose you charismatics for being corrupt. I guess that's what they were trying to do. But it was, it was a tragedy that some of these men were blessed. $180 million a year business. $180 million a year, 500 radio stations, millions of dollars coming in every month. I mean, every just millions. And yet it leads to, in two cases, homosexualism and alcoholism. How can this be? While they're preaching, 14,000-member church and has a boyfriend. How do you do that? And all the money they have, they can, and they got another house they can hide away. One's wife, she has her boyfriends, suspicioned, while they have their millions of dollars and they beg for money on their TV shows. You know, it, it doesn't take a Christian long to realize that's not the way God gave us to live. And money should never have that kind of an influence on anybody. And, and these ministries, let me tell you what about getting big. When they were exposed, their ministries fell apart. Just They went down to hardly anything. Look at the great loss. My question is, who said you, you, God wanted you to be that big in the first place? God didn't promote all that. Man did that. Men have skills. They're clever. They're eloquent. They can do things, and people come to watch. And, you know, here's one that in a healing campaign with tattoos all over him and preaching in blue jeans and T-shirts. Why well, don't you shorts? And his flip-flops and, and all this and knocking people down. Everybody, wow, this is a most whatever healing ministry. And the next thing you know, he's courting his secretary more than just courting. Whoa, too far. Leaves, divorces his wife, marries his secretary. And why does that happen? I think it's a combination of a lot of things that do happen. But involved in most of these things were money. Money gives you this liberty to be and do. You don't have to depend on God. You don't have to seek wisdom and guidance anymore. You just go and do. No wonder Jesus said he'll say to a lot of those people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. That's a sobering thought. And what was behind it? The effect that money had on people who are trying to get more of it because the more they get, the more they can do. It's called the love of money, not money. We need money. We got to pay bills, pay our taxes, save for the house or whatever you got to going to buy or something. I mean, money's important in this life. You work a third of your life to get it. It is important. But when it gets to the place where it rules you and corrupts you and destroys you and causes you to come into eternal death, money was the cheapest thing in your life. You didn't have to work, let your money work. You didn't have to go, let your money go. You didn't have to do anything, let your money do it. Money bought you nothing. And you know, people that die with it, they can't take it with them.
Turn to Second Peter two. Go back there. Second Peter chapter two. Let me show you one uh, one more. Second Peter two verses one, two, and three. That's what we've been talking about. For there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious, licentious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Oh, we don't do that anymore. We're done with that stuff. And listen, verse 3, and through covetousness. Getting that money, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Tell me that doesn't happen today. Tell me it doesn't happen. It does happen. It happens all the time. With feigned words, they make merchandise of you. You know why? You, because Christians generally by nature have a heart that wants to help and to give. And to share. And we're an easy pick for a lot of people. You can put a little orphan's face up here, some little kid in the home eating a bowl full of dirty rice, and we'll all jump up out of our seats and wave our wallets at them. Because we don't want that to be any, you don't want anybody to live like that. And yet, so many times, not always, there have been times when the people that are doing all of this they have no orphan home, they don't even support orphans. They've learned how to do this, and they make you think they are, and so they have pictures they can send you. and and making merchandise of you. There are legitimate places. There are legitimate times. There are legitimate orphanages. You and I both know that. I'm just saying we need to be careful what we do with our money, who we support, and make sure that we have some kind of proof. Some of you men went down to where some of these, uh, we've supported orphanages by one brother, and uh, went down and saw what he was doing, and, and okay. But uh, some of them I have known. I knew one to pass who used another man's material, use his orphanage, he'd been into Haiti, and use his orphanage and his pictures and use that as though that was his orphanage and I guess came across a lot of money until these two men went to the same place once. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's what the other guy said. That's the other guy's picture. And then they realized they'd been hooked and crooked out of their money. How can this be? How can you stand in the pulpit and talk about Jesus and about needs and, oh, don't you just love him tonight? Don't you just want to give your heart and, and soul to help these poor little souls to have a better? Don't you really want? Let's pray. Let's, let's just, let's, I want you to think about this. How many of you know that work? It might not work here. Or it might. And I don't want to get so hard that it wouldn't work in any, <laughs> if anybody did. But I'm just saying that there's so much of it out there, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. And so that, that happens. That happens. And, and a lot of people have lost their money and investments and, and stocks and been hoodwinked by false giving and all of that. Let me tell you what in the warnings tonight, what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that ownership of things is wrong as long as they're honestly obtained. Remember, the Bible said charge them that are rich in this world. It's not wrong to be rich if you have obtained it in a way that was honest. For example, what if you inherited something? What if, you, what if your mother or dad or your family, your uncle, it's nice to have a rich uncle. What if your uncle, when he died, you didn't know it, left you a million dollars? Or how about a measly hundred thousand? <laughs> hundred thousand bucks. Well, it's not wrong for you to have that, is it? The Bible doesn't say when they hand you the check, when the attorney hands you the check, and you're not supposed to go, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to say thank you. I mean, that's yours. You might have believed, you might have been believing for that or asked for that twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago. And God brings it in now because after 40 years of refinement, he can trust you now. Or what if somebody calls you on the phone and says, uh, I have a gift for you. It'll be in the mail tomorrow. Click. And then in the mail comes twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Is that wrong? It's not wrong. There are people out of the goodness of their heart want to give to you. I remember a woman called me one morning. She knew I was believing for an airplane. This is back when my hair was brown. 
but I was believing for God for an airplane. I had one I found. It was $22,000 at Bowman Fields, a Piper, a 180. I didn't have $22,000. I didn't know where $22,000 had ever come from, but I thought if I could have an airplane, I could get to these meetings a whole lot faster. I had one on Monday night in Hopkinsville, Tuesday night up in Cordon, Indiana, Wednesday night in Indianapolis, I'm usually flying out of town Thursday through Sunday, and then I go back to Hopkinsville. It's just a schedule I had. Boy, if I could get an airplane. And so uh, a lady called me after a meeting one time. I got back home. She said, early in the morning, way too early for me. And she said, uh, Brother Hamilton, yes, this is so-and-so from so-and-so. She said, uh, uh, how much is your airplane? How much is the airplane you want to buy? What's it cost? Um, see, I'm, I'm aware now of all the ways and way people like this woman are usually, I just, please, you know, how they appeal to her, people like her. And I said, um, well, you know, they vary in call. I, I know, but how much do you need? Well, it just depends on, uh, you know, the year and how many hours are on the airplane. I mean, it was it, Brother Hamilton, I'd like to help you. She knew I wouldn't tell her. And she said, well, would $10,000 help? And I remember thinking, $10,000. I said, well, um, yeah. I said, well, uh, yeah. I said, do you mind then if I send you $10,000? I said, well, (laughs) if that's... uh, if that's what you want to do, then, uh, yeah. And I hung on the phone. You know what my wife said? said, next time, hand me the phone. <laughs> I'll tell her how much it was. I'm just saying that maybe, maybe, maybe tonight standing here, maybe that was a test. Because I could have said, I as I learned later, I could have said, well, the airplane I want is, uh, is about a $50,000 airplane. She would have bought it. She had that kind of money. She was a doctor's wife. He had died, and she had a, a lot of money, I guess, insurance. Whatever she had, she's had a lot of money. Well, she was so willing to give her money. She wanted it to be useful to the Lord, and she wanted, you know. And I don't think money like that corrupts people like her. I don't think she was covetous at all, because covetous people usually aren't much forgiven. People that are always trying to get money are somewhat stingy and not much forgiving. Sometimes you find a man or a woman who is better off than well-to-do or better off than just having something that are usually pretty, pretty, pretty generous. But it, it isn't wrong. It isn't wrong to have things. When God gives us richly all things to enjoy, I think he wants you to enjoy it. How many of you think, how many of you think that if God gave you, if some way the things happened in your life and you were able to come unto and have and own a new car, that you could enjoy it. What if he gave you a new Mercedes? What about a new Lexus? Would you enjoy it? Or would you park it out back so you people wouldn't think funny things about you? Oh, Jay. <laughs> Jay one time wanted me to get a, a Lexus, a GS300. I, for, and I thought, you know what I told him? I said, I can't drive something like that because, you know, I, too many people have knees. That, that just doesn't, that doesn't look well. I right? hear a little concrete building driving that. And he said, I don't think they'd mind at all. So I didn't ask anybody, but I, I'm not driving that either, so we don't have that problem yet. But he gives us richly all things to enjoy. What do you want? I had a new Toyota Highlander. In, a, in my garage, and didn't drive it that much. And said, well, aren't you going to drive it? I said, I drive to church. And if, if we go on a trip, maybe the grocery store, I'll drive it then. Well, why would you get a new one? I, don't, I, just, I guess I liked it. I just didn't mind having it. And I walk out in the garage and say, how you doing? And, you know, go on out and get in the truck and go somewhere. The Bible said it gives us richly all things to enjoy. But you can't let that thing control you. You take care of it, yes. You can say, we don't have any affection for it, and that means you can get mud in it and throw corns and bean all, beans all over it. And say, I don't have any affection. No, that's, that's bad stewardship. I think you take care of what God gives you. 
You, you know, you have respect for stuff that you believe for. You don't just treat it like a dog or something. We take care of things. But he gives us richly all things to enjoy. So it's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have a new home. It's not wrong to have a new car. It's not wrong to have uh, a new sweater, a new pair of shoes, a new dress, a new couch, a new wash machine, a new dryer, uh, a new hammer and chisel. It's not wrong to have anything. God said he gives you all things richly to enjoy. All things are his. He said he would bless you when you went out and when you came in. Where else could you be? He blessed you in the city and he blessed you in the country. Where else could you be? God covers it all with simple words. He'll bless us. It's just that the warning is, don't get greedy and don't get covetous and don't think you're somebody now that you got a gift and you got some money. You're no different than you were before. You're still a man who is in need every day of God's guidance. You are still poor in your spirit because you need more every day than you have. And money cannot buy anything spiritual. It can do good. You could build a new church building. Wouldn't that be nice? With a, with a stage with a little room. We got room. We got plenty of room. We could do a lot of things. I just, you know, in my life, a building's not such a big deal. But God meet us here in this little place. People go by and say, oh, look at that. We're not, I'm not striving after some fancy something that people go, whoa, look at that. I'm not interested in floating a million dollar loan, have the city have to pay for it. That's not what we're doing. Not going to stand in the pulpit because the offerings are down and start pulling for offerings every week. That's not what the message is about. We avoid all that stuff. We don't have to do that. But you know what it what it does mean? It means that he that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. He that by usury or interest An unjust gain increaseth his substance. He shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Will you pity the poor? Then you can avoid the interest. That was in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 8. As I already said to you in Proverbs 13 11, He that gets wealth by vanity, it shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor, he shall increase. Nor do you have to think that if you have a lot, you have to give it all away. In Acts 4 and 5, the needs in the church were great, and there were people who got saved. That was part of God's plan. People who got saved had a heart for these people that had nothing. Their their faith in God as Jews cost them everything. Their job, their home, their family, I mean, they lost everything. They had nothing. They didn't have big elaborate homes in with many rooms for people to stay in. They had nothing. So the men that had plenty sold what they had and gave it to the apostles so they could take care of these people. Isn't that something? Turn to Mark 10. We'll start closing. We'll start it. Mark chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lord, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus said unto you, Verily I say unto you, that there is no man that hath left house or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the Gospels. Most of you will never be asked to do that. Some of you might be. I know what this is about. Verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, this lifetime. Houses. Is that an S on the end of it? All right. Houses and brethren. You're my brethren. Sisters, you're my sisters. And mothers, I got mamas. And children, I got a bunch. And lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, eternal life. You read that? That's a promise. That's a promise from God to us. You can't give God your life and your time and your best. Your energy, your efforts. You cannot... Make yourself unto God usable for him. Do whatever you want to with me, even if it costs me for a time or a season, my whole family, everything else, because 
First of all, we seek first the kingdom. But God will give you time for them. But you do this first. And he said, you will receive in this lifetime houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, and so forth with persecution. And in the life to come, eternal life. What more is there? What is greater than eternal life? What? Well, there isn't anything greater than eternal life. But he said, we have left all to follow you. But that doesn't mean that you have to give away everything in every case. You might be asked to. Luke fourteen thirty three. he said that uh, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. I mean, forsaking for, in some ways means that you have to be willing to let go of it when asked to. You just give all your money away and all your possessions away just because the Bible says so. Who do you want to give it to? What do you do with it? Give it to the poor? Where are they? How do you know they're poor? What if, what if you give it to them and it makes them worse? When you give, you want to make sure you give it in good ground, don't you? So you have to be cautious and careful about that. God will hold us to it. We'll be answerable for what we give and what we have. You'd be willing to give if God so asked you to. This teaching tonight doesn't mean you can't have money in the bank. I have a bank account. I got a checking account. I have both. It doesn't mean you can't have a bank account and have money in the bank. I may want to go on a trip. I may want to go to uh, name a good place. Israel. That's a good place. I may want to go back to there. I can. I don't need anybody to do that. I can do that. I may want to go to Alaska. When Sarah goes back up there to run up that hill, I don't know why, but she will. And we use that as an excuse for going to Alaska. I'm not really interested in that race. We want to see the country again. It's nice to be able to know, especially at this time in my life, at this, at the age I am, that we have come to a time where, where God has brought us out to a well-watered plain, and if we want to, we can, we can take some time off to do some things. But never forget what you're called to do and where your roots are and what you're supposed to be doing. It's all right to take some time off. It's all right to have a new one. And I'll tell you this. If God wants all of it, he can have it all. And I mean that. I walked away from something I had put all of my life's investment in once. I did it once. It wasn't hard to do. All you had to do is drop the keys on the table, walk off, and it's gone. That's all you had to do. It was an easy thing to do. And you can think, all that money, all that money, it's just money. It's just money. Gasoline, how much is gas? $3 and something a gallon now? $3 and... 32 cents, I thought, well, I'm going to drive down to Wadi. So I put a pencil. I got an ad machine. I call it a pencil. But, you know, if I bought 15 gallons of gas at $3.32.9 a gallon, it would cost $50 and some odd cents. And if I bought it here in Wadi, I saved $1.88 to drive to Wadi. <laughs> it ain't near as much difference as you think it is. Take no thought for that stuff. If you've got it, use it. And if you don't have it, be, be as wise as serpents with it. We all are accountable for our money. Just avoid covetousness. Go back to Matthew 6 so I can close. Avoid covetousness. God wants you to let go of it. Let go of it. When your money begins to sing an old number one hit from years ago, Oh, let me go, let me go. Let it go. Because, let me tell you something, folks. You cannot outgive God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. The light of the body is the eye. And if your eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? There's a whole lot said here. I don't want to rush through it. But I want you to see before, we, before I quit here that you have light and evil. You see the two contrasts. If the light that is in you 
is the light that God gives. In other words, if you're seeing what God shows you, the entrance, Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of thy word gives light. It giveth understanding to the simple. When that comes in, and you see what God is saying, if you're willing to heed that, your whole being, your body, your life, that which is you, will be full of light. Now, we'll get to that more in John 8 and John 12 next time. But the other part of it is, if your eye is single, if you see what God is saying, and that's what you're focused on, your whole body, your whole life will reflect it. But if the light that is in you is evil, so the contrast, I'm sorry, I said light and evil, but the contrast between evil and single, a single-eyed person or an evil-eyed person, this is dealing with your attitude. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. I'm going to save that for next time. We'll begin next time at verse 22 and 23. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we give you thanks tonight for truth. Thy word is truth. It is the truth that makes us free. We ask you to continue to speak the truth to us. If there be any darkness in our life, that you bring us out of that darkness into your marvelous light. We pray that your word would continue to have its mastery over our wills. That as we focus upon it, we will follow it. We will be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We thank you for the privilege of asking and receiving. Thank you for the privilege of prayer. Help us to come to the place, Lord, where we can rest our case before you and trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Bless us as we leave this place tonight that we forget not what you've taught us. Put it into our hearts the way it should be known. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.